Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. You know, I often get asked for information about or referrals to eating disorder treatment centers by patients or loved ones of patients. And while for the most part, eating disorder treatment centers offer very similar treatments, they're really not all exactly the same. And while I do not endorse any one treatment center in particular, as I think it's really up to each individual person to feel comfortable finding and choosing one that they feel is the best fit for them, I do think it's important to know more about higher levels of care just in general, and to know more about what may make one treatment center different from another. To me, the more information you have, the better, especially if you ever find yourself in a situation where you may be searching for a treatment center and feel lost trying to find somewhere that's a good fit for you. So with that being said, our guest is here today to touch on a few topics like medication and the treatment of eating disorders and the particular challenges faced by the LGBTQI community. But she's also here to tell us about how treatment at the center she works at is unique and different from other eating disorder treatment centers. As Chief Medical Officer at Alsana, Margarita Mascolo leads the medical component of Alsana's adaptive care model. She has over 10 years of hands-on experience and extensive knowledge. And after completing her undergraduate work at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas, she earned her medical degree at the University of Texas Health Science Center. Her residency was completed in internal medicine at the University of Colorado in Denver. She is board certified in internal medicine, has published multiple peer-reviewed articles on the medical complications of eating disorders, travels nationally and internationally to speak on these complications, and has earned her certified eating disorder specialist, CEDS certification. Dr. Mascolo, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm excited. I haven't had anybody on here uh, to discuss Alsana in particular, and I know it's a little bit of a different uh, treatment center. Well, not different in the sense of treatment, but it offers something a little bit different than other treatment centers. Um, And so I'm wondering if maybe you could discuss that a little bit so people know like, okay, when I'm looking for a treatment center, why would I choose Alsana over the other ones? Oh, thank you. Yes, I'd be happy to to chat about that. So, at Alsana, we have a what we've coined as the adaptive care model um, to care for the clients that um, come to seek treatment with us. And it's a little bit different than the traditional sort of pyramid in eating disorder treatment of clinical, medical, and nutrition. We've expanded that to add two more dimensions to our treatment model. One is the movement dimension, which is a very prescriptive movement dimension um, that's based on data and we track outcomes. Um, It's not um, sort of just yoga therapy three times a week, but it progresses as the client progresses through treatment. Um, And the other dimension is our um, relational dimension, which is the the dimension that's a little bit more of our 
touchy-feely, soft dimension that seeks to really repair um, relationships, mainly to self and then to sort of your inner circle. And we do that by um, focusing on compassion-focused therapy as sort of our clinical foundation. Um, I've learned this from our chief clinical officer. There's three flows of compassion. And um, patients that struggle with eating disorders have are really good at being compassionate towards others, but they really struggle with receiving compassion from others and being self-compassionate. And so we're very intentional in our treatment at restoring that compassion and allowing them to receive compassion. And we actually track those scores as well from admission to step down and discharge. Um, so that's how Alsana is a little bit um, different. If you, um, if anyone's interested at our, in our website, alsana.com, there's all kinds of information on our adaptive care model and how it came about. Um, we serve patients that are 18 and older and all genders. Okay. So yeah, yeah let's talk about that. Cause I, I know people might ask like, okay, so when you say all genders, if somebody were to go and say like a residential or a higher level of care, um, mm-hmm. how do you serve all genders? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we're very, um, respectful in the language that we use and, um, we room our clients based on the gender with which they identify. Um, right. So to be as respectful and honoring their um, their chosen gender. So um, that's how we room um, the clients. We don't uh, I know there's some centers that um, sort of have different groups and different houses for the LGBTQ plus population. We we don't believe in that. Right. We believe in integration and respect um, for anyone's life choices. Um, so when they come to Asana, um, we, we treat them just like everyone else for their eating disorders. We're very intentional about tracking outcomes and being respectful and making sure that the clients have um, really experienced that. We, um, we actually have uh, perceptional care scores that we, um, we ask on admission and on step down and discharge to make sure that the environment for them is affirming and, um, and respectful. Okay. So um, let's say I'm somebody looking for a treatment facility and um, I'm trying to figure out like what it would look like if I were to enter, say, like one of your programs, like how many people typically are in like a higher level of care and um, like what is the environment look like in terms of who I would be rooming with and like all of that? Because I know people ask these kinds of questions, right? Yeah, no, of course. So we have facilities of varying sizes. The majority of our facilities are fairly small. So in California, we have four six bed houses and a 12 bed house. Um, Missouri, we have a 10 bed house. One of them is 20 beds, sort of depends. So um, the the clients can really get uh, different experiences. So they'll get the same authentic experience wherever they go, but if they thrive in a larger milieu, we direct them to one of our larger programs. Um, otherwise, we direct them to our smaller facilities. Um, our, our locations are based in homes. So we have beautiful houses. Um, Monterey in California is an old bed and breakfast. Um, that's just um, stunning. Um, our Westlake facilities are beautiful. And so they're, they're homes. Um, they're usually, uh, most of our facilities have two uh, people per bedroom. 
um, with the shared bathroom. Um, and a, a lot of the assignments for rooms are based on um, really the order in which the clients come, right? And uh, so we try, we try and honor requests if they have them, but um, really it's whoever is, whoever's coming in, we, um, we see where the bed is available and we, um, we place them there. Um, all the homes have outdoor spaces. Um, some, a lot of our meals are done outside. There's a lot of sort of outdoor activities and outdoor time, um, in nature, whether that's a walk in the beach or at a national park in, in St. Louis, um, Birmingham is a little more, uh, of an urban setting. Uh, so a little bit different. So any, so there's really, um, sort of room for um, whatever the client needs and wants to experience. Okay. Um, so it sounds like you really try to tailor it to whoever's coming in and try to make them that's right. In part, you know, sometimes we're um, sort of bound by what the insurance companies will cover. Some of them will say only California or only Missouri or only Alabama. And so then um, we certainly we we have to work within that those confinements. Okay. Yeah. Um. And so you know it's interesting. So as like an outpatient clinician myself, I found it during at least the pandemic there was like long wait lists for higher level of care treatment. Did that happen at Alsana as well? Did you find? That? Yeah. So the pandemic hit, and I was like, oh man, I'm gonna be out of a job. Who's gonna come to you know? Who's gonna apply to treatment and right? And in a very very sad way, we just saw. Our business boom. I mean, the the need had never been greater, right? We we really saw uh, people struggling with mental health, uh, really sort of take a turn and struggle even more, and really have no access to care. So we really spent the beginning of the pandemic trying to build more capacity because our wait lists were getting so long. Um, in the middle of the pandemic, we were actually lucky enough to be able to launch a truly centralized virtual uh, PHP and IOP level of care. Uh, because while we um, really, we did several different things. So we really doubled down on the safety of our brick and mortar programs. Uh, we felt very strongly that these patients needed care and deserved to be in, especially at higher levels of care, to be in brick and mortar. And so we put a ton of um, COVID safety protocols and mechanisms in place. Um, we did that for residential PHP and IOP. But we also recognize that with the pandemic and the sort of fear of travel and um, fear of being around other people, that there was a need for virtual programming. And with all the executive orders that were in place, we were able to launch a virtual PHP IOP. And um, just like everything we do, we've been tracking outcomes. And it's just been really amazing to watch uh, clients do really well in the virtual setting. What we've learned is that especially the clients that have uh, binging as part of their um, their disease do really well in the virtual space. Maybe something about cooking in their own kitchen and going to their own grocery store and um, has been really therapeutic for them. Um, so that's how we sort of dealt with the pandemic and the um, need for for more beds. We opened four new facilities during the pandemic. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's uh, actually a, a good next question for anyone li listening. Is there um, a specific eating disorder that is for each facility that is like more or do you does it matter what the diagnosis is? Because um, I know that some some treatment centers like specialize more in like 
binge eating disorder or bulimia nervosa? Um, how does Alsana work? Yeah, that's a great question. So we treat all eating disorders at all the all the facilities. We don't um, sort of assign based on the type of eating disorder. We also treat all body shapes and sizes at all our facilities. Um, you know, because the, the the sort of foundation of an eating disorder is the behavior. As you know, anorexia can come in many different mm-hmm. uh, body shapes and sizes. And so we respect that and honor that and we treat it at every facility. Now, I know you and I have talked a, a little bit before, and um, something I've never had uh, discussed on the podcast is the LGBTQ plus community. And mm-hmm. um, I know that's a population that Alsana um, tends you know, to cater to a little bit more um, and has as a population. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, you know, for somebody who's looking for treatment that's more sensitive to that population, what does Alsana offer? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, so about 30 to 35 percent of our population identifies as LGBTQI+. Um, and so as we sort of mentioned before, we have um, we accept them at all our facilities, at all levels of care. Um, we assign genders based on the gender with which they identify. Um, and we um, really provide uh, affirming, respectful care. So for, for example, the transgender client, there can be a spectrum of sort of treatments that they can be undergoing, right? From um, dressing uh, in the um, gender with which they identify um, all the way to sort of the, the surgery, top surgery, bottom surgery, hormones. And we, we respect anywhere where they are on the spectrum and treat them accordingly. So if someone comes in and they're not on hormones, we don't treat them with hormones. If they are, we continue the care and we work really closely with their outpatient, either endocrinologist or family practitioner, whoever's prescribing the hormones to make sure that their care is continued and not interrupted. Um, we work, our dietary, dimension, our nutrition dimension works really closely to um, make sure that their, um, th- th- their weight goals are in alignment with the gender with which they identify. Um, and, um, our movement dimension, of course, uh, pays attention to muscle mass and, um, sort of, uh, the needs, the needs of the body, uh, the fuel that it needs to, 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 for the movement. Um, and I mean, at the basis of everything is compassion focused therapy. So, uh, we, we use compassion in, um, in the care of our LGBTQI population. Now, are there specific, um, I guess, are there differences in terms of what you found that that population faces, um, like in general, that maybe people are not, um, that they deal with in treatment that maybe is different? Like, I I haven't really um, talked to another clinician uh, about that. Like, are there specific things that maybe people wouldn't know, like, oh, this is a very um, big issue that they're facing in terms of discrimination or in terms of a stressor or a trigger. Yeah, for sure. So a couple of different things. Um, so one, there's a a lot of discrimination mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, in that population. Um, there's a lot of sort of fear, um, 
fear of and also experiences of adver adverse consequences. Um, a lot of violence and bullying um, toward that population, unfortunately. Um, what is at the crux of, uh, at least in my, my dimension, my medical dimension, I'm an internist by trade, is that um, these clients have really a difficult time uh, accessing appropriate treatment and appropriate care for them. Um, as physicians, we're, um, we're not necessarily trained in the needs of the LGBTQI plus population, especially when it comes to transgender care. And so um, even things like the questionnaire at a doctor's office, what is your gender? Male, like, it's very binary, right? You think you can only pick male or female. Um, restrooms at a lot of physicians' offices or anywhere they go um, are either male or female, right? So these are all things that, unfortunately, we don't necessarily think about, but they can be very um, oppressing and very um, uh, very difficult for for this population. Um, certainly, you know um, the the even the physical exam, right? Um, the uh, appropriate sort of uh, exam for the gender with which they identify, right? The difficult conversation. If someone um, identifies as female, do they have, do they still have male parts that need to have cancer screening? You know, do we need to test for testicular cancer? You know, those kinds of things um, can be really difficult for, um, for this population. Um, and so uh, in um, the sort of therapeutic piece of this, our therapists need to be mindful of what this population's everyday life looks like. Um, a couple sort of, I mean, really um, sad statistics is that these patients have really high uh, mortality rates by suicide. Um, so we need to be very mindful um, of that. I mean, we have suicide screening and assessment for all of our clients, but um, to especially have a little bit of a different light, a little bit of a different acuity uh, for the LGBTQ plus population. Um, there's a lot of um, eating disorders in this population. It, the, the reports sort of vary from anywhere between like 30% to about 55% um, of LGBTQ plus youth reported having an eating disorder diagnosis. Um, so very, very, um, th th there's a lot of sort of crossover between eating disorders uh, and that population. Um, about, uh, this is one study in particular quoted that almost up to 60% of youth that identified as LGBTQ and had an eating disorder had contemplated suicide. Um, so it's certainly something. We know that in general, uh, clients that have eating disorders so first of all, eating disorder is the second highest, um, has the second highest mortality of any psychiatric disorder, um, second to the opioid um, epidemic. And they die by suicide and medical complications that are unrecognized and untreated, right? So um, we are clinically very, very aware of the suicide piece and medically, of course, very aware of the medical complications and we, aggressively screen for them and treat them. So in that light, so does Alsana also treat the comorbid diagnoses of if there's major depressive disorder, um, anxiety, like how does that treatment look? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so while truly the treatment for eating disorders is 
nutrition therapy, especially group therapy. That's where they have, they do the most um, sort of therapeutic work. Um, it's really important for these clients to have their comorbidities uh, treated um, and addressed. And uh, most of the comorbidities, uh, there's a lot of medical complications, but as far as the psychiatric uh, comorbidities, there's, um, so of course, depression, anxiety, mood disorders. And unless we treat those, um, the uh, the patients are really, it's really hard for them to progress through treatment because many times their anxiety can be uh, debilitating, um, right? To the point where they are unable to complete their meal. They're unable to, to participate in, um, in group. Um, so our psychiatrists are trained on that and very, very aware um, of the need for uh, in this case, it's medication in order to treat um, to treat the comorbidities. Okay, so I could imagine somebody listening going, medication, wait a minute, is that necessary? <laughs> is that necessary? Is that uh, a, a, a much needed part of the treatment? Because so, I know some people, you know, who I work with go, I don't want to take medication. Like, is that is that a, a must? Um, so it's not, a, it's not a must. It's really, it's a, uh, what I like to tell our clients is that it's part of our tool belt mm -hmm. of interventions that we use in order to help them. Does it mean that they need to be on this medication forever? No. Mm -hmm. um, uh, many times a starved brain can be depressed, can be anxious, um, can have mood disorders, right? So some of that is a little bit difficult to tease out. But certainly um, what I like to tell them is that if they're able to have some help during this really difficult time in their life, right? So these clients come into care, maybe they're flying across the country to come to our facility. They're away from home, from their friends, from their family, from their support. Uh, you know, we have cell phone policy and all kinds of stuff. It's such a different environment. Any one part of that can be so stressful and so triggering. We're asking them to sort of tackle all that at once and deal with their eating disorder that if we can help their anxiety and their depression while they're in treatment to for them to be able to have that sort of mental calmness and clarity in order to engage in what we have to offer, um, then I, I like to have them use the medication to help them. Again, not long-term. Um, once we have treated their eating disorder and ha have their engagement and treatment, those medicines can be tapered off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're not lifelong necessarily. I mean, we could have a whole podcast on medication, I think. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe, maybe I'll be back to just talk about that because I think <laughs> there's a lot of questions people have about that. Um, mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot of fear. So there's um, a lot of these medications that weight gain as a side effect, right? So how do you tell somebody who has um, body dysmorphia and is a low body weight and is struggling with getting the calories needed that you're going to give them a medication that makes them gain weight? Um, so those are tough conversations that our psychiatrists and our clinical team face almost on a daily basis. The fear is real and it needs to be um, recognized and um, addressed. And I think that's a fear, at least I see, you know, when I put out posts on social media, people have that fear of even entering treatment of, oh, well, if I go into treatment, that's going to be what happens is I'm going, my body's going to shift, my body's going to change. I don't want to. Yeah. If you can, if I can get over my eating disorder and not have my body change, I'm, I'll sign me up. 
But if I have to go in and my body's going to change, no way. Like, that's too scary for me. So even if there's no medication offered, I think that's a big fear. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, um, unfortunately, we can't have eating disorder treatment without their body changing, right? So first of all, we focus on behavior changes because that's what this what it's about. And this is what will ultimately keep these clients in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the body will change. Um, and, um, so it's important for us to, and, and the way we deal with it, so we deal it with it, every sort of, every dimension deals with the body changing. Um, medically we, um, we, we sort of talk about the elephant in the room, right? Like, Hey, you're going to start, um, to eat a healthy balanced diet and your body will change, but it's okay because right now your body is starved and deficient in nutrients and taking, calcium from your bones and debilitating your bones and your GI tract is completely shut down because it's trying to absorb everything that it possibly can. So right now your body is not healthy. And what we want to do is change it to be healthy. And part of that requires just, um, yeah, uh, there's a change to your body. Mm -hmm. Right. So we talk about health, um, not necessarily, we don't focus on, on a number, uh, a number on the scale. Same thing, you know, for our clients in larger bodies that have um, binge eating disorder, um, we work on we work on the behaviors. And when the binges stop, sometimes the um, the clients will lose weight. Um, it's certainly not an outcome we're shooting for. We're working on their behaviors, but it does result in, the, in changes to their body. And that's the interesting part is I always hear people say, well, that's that's the goal is I want to stop binging because I think like that's going to happen and sometimes it doesn't and I think that that that's what their goal is is it's ultimately right. still a diet mentality right so of course that, people go yes you know but it's like well that that can't be the focus that can't be the goal of treatment right because that might not happen exactly yeah and it never is for us um we never focus on the the weight number piece, as you know, I mean, BMI and ideal body weight are not great measurements of mm-hmm. the health of a body, right? We can have a whole other podcast on that. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, you know, in, in, in women, you, you shoot for when menses resume, that's when the body tells you that, oh, okay, I'm, I'm at a good, I'm at a good point. Um, so there's a lot of factors that are involved in, um, and the nutrition component and how the body changes and the conversations that we have around that. So, um, you know, we kind of derailed a little bit from like the specific, um, you know, concerns and struggles of, you know, I guess, um, you know, the LGBTQI plus community, um, because I do want to like address that a little bit more, um, just if somebody's listening specifically to get more information about that, like maybe, um, saying, hey, you know, maybe I'm more interested in going to Alsana than somewhere else. They seem a little bit more aware and sensitive. Um, or or maybe somebody is just wanting to know, like, is there language that I need to be more sensitive about? Or are there issues I need to be more sensitive about towards somebody who's got an eating disorder, who's in um, that group that maybe I don't have awareness about? Like, mm-hmm. um, is there anything you can say to the audience that 
maybe people wouldn't really have awareness of that you do because you work with that population? Um, mm -hmm. A couple of things I would say, be very sensitive to the fact that this is a marginalized population. It's a population that's been, that is discriminated against and that has a, a lot of underlying eating disorders that unfortunately many times are not recognized and not treated. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I would, uh, for someone who is not LGBTQI, I would say when you do encounter someone who is to, to, to think about that in, in everything that you say and do, and um, to be very respectful of um, where they are in their journey and what they identify with. Um, and I think it's always, I think it's super important to let the, the client be the driver. So ask them, like, how would you like to be addressed? Like, what is your name? How do you like to be, how would you like to be addressed? Don't make assumptions based on how they look or how they dress or, you know, um, it goes back to sort of like, you know, the golden rule, the ABCs. Um, so that would be my biggest piece of advice is to just be inquisitive and, and ask, um, ask the person with whom you're having the conversation, what their preferred gender is, how they like to be addressed, what their pronouns are. And then, you know, just remember those and address them in that way. Um, and be particularly sensitive to the fact that their day-to-day -day life is very different from a non-LGBTQI uh, person who, you know, who you, like if you're a female, that if you identify as being a female, you walk into a, a girl's bathroom anywhere you, anywhere you go, you can find that, right? Um, you've never had to um, sort of struggle with deciding where to go. Right. Um, so any clinicians that might be listening, is there anything um, like an outpatient clinician or something? Um, is there anything that maybe they could do differently in their practice? Yeah, I would say um, the biggest thing is to be aware of the high percentage of eating disorders in this population and to screen, screen them. Um, screen the clients that they have for the presence of an eating disorder because having an eating disorder, being being in the LGBTQI population and having an eating disorder, the, the mortality can be really a lot higher because of the suicide and the complications. And so to me, it's um, uh, to, to really do a good job of building rapport and asking them the eating disorder questions. Um, you know, the SCOP questionnaire is five questions and it's fairly fairly easy to do. Um, and to identify an eating disorder early and to treat it is really the best shot at having a recovered life. So in your opinion, do you think that the higher risk for suicide is because they experience life much differently and feel that discrimination? I think so. I think A, having an eating disorder alone, and then B, um, the discrimination, the bullying, the teasing. We know that all those are risk factors for the development of an eating disorder, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I definitely think it's a combination of things. So, and to, you know, to not be able to live as your true self, I mean, the psychological impact that that has, mm -hmm. um, the struggle with having to live in a, a body you don't identify with or, you know, um, uh, uh, mentally, that's very heavy. Right, and in a very unforgiving society on top of it, that, right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, um, in, a, in a society that's very binary, it's, you know, zero or one, and male, female, that's it, yeah. 
Well, that, I mean, I was just thinking that must be really interesting to go to a very supportive environment such as Alsana and get treatment and feel very supported and get that compassion. And then how do you give them the skills and the tools for when they discharge and leave Alsana to to manage like the world that's out there? Yeah, yeah. Um, so as they as, as they make progress through treatment, we have experientials for them. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. so let's go outside and what's it like to make a grocery list and go to the grocery store how do you sit down and order from a menu at a restaurant um we have clients uh i think at least once a week have uh, client creation meals how, like how do you sort of create your own meal and serve it to other people um and it can be the experientials can also differ based on what the need is. So maybe how do you go to a mall and shop for size appropriate clothing? Um, that can be very intimidating or challenging. Um, go to a picnic uh, with friends, you know, sort of um, teaching them. Uh, we teach through experientials um, and sort of living those situations in, in an environment that's still safe and um, afterwards they can really sort of um, have processing uh, time around it. And then specifically uh, for the LGBTQI community, like Alsana seems very supportive, um, right? Mm-hmm. And so for those um, patients that are getting discharged that are going to go back out into a society where there's not, you know, the bathrooms and the mm-hmm. support and maybe even family members or friends who are, you know, maybe saying critical negative things and they're not feeling like all the support that Alsana provided them. Like, yeah. how do you help them like get back into maybe a toxic environment that yeah. maybe was the impetus for the eating disorder or the depression? Yeah, no, that's definitely, definitely tough. So one, um, through compassion, right? So all those things outside, are not about the actual client themselves. It's about the other person that, um, I mean, unfortunately, things that are said are very hurtful um, and spiteful. But so we teach them, of course, to, so, to, so to have self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we, we really empower our clients to have a voice. Um, make your opinion known. Tell people who you are, how you prefer to be addressed. And, you know, whatever they sort of, say or think about you, it's okay. Those are their thoughts. Those are not your thoughts and they shouldn't govern your sort of day-to-day life. But now those are really difficult things to, I mean, it takes a while for them to really be able to be advocates for themselves. But um, fundamentally, that's what we teach them to have compassion and to be advocates for themselves, for their needs and their wants and for who they are. Yeah, it's really unfortunate we can't just change society and their oh. world and, you know, make it all nice and supportive, like in the contained environment you provide for them, right? Um, I know, I know. Yeah. So giving skills and coping mechanisms and, I guess, insight and awareness, too. For sure, for sure. Insight, you know, into how they feel. Like, how does someone saying, you know, X things to you make you feel? Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of... Um, exploring that and sort of processing through that because you're right a lot of their uh the relationship that the relationships that they have outside of treatment are triggering they are toxic they're not supportive they're you know and i should say another um way that we support them is that we actually do have 
We have a really strong family program um, and we bring families or significant others or, you know, whoever their support is into treatment. Um, we'll do sessions with, um, with them to make sure that the family or the support system is able to like understand what these clients are struggling with and really to receive them back in their care when they're done with treatment. Like that bridge. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, well, I mean, I, I always love when, you know, somebody comes on and, and gives information about options for treatment, because I think people kind of uh, feel like deer in headlights, like, you know, especially if they get the news from an outpatient therapist like myself, like, okay, I think you need a higher level of care. And that's this daunting, like, what, what does that mean? What do I look like? Mm-hmm. You know, or even mm-hmm. if I suggest somewhere, they're like, oh like it's overwhelming and so just to have more information and know you know somebody like yourself you know they've heard you and it's like it it, it's more information it's more of like oh there's a place that this makes more sense or I know more about this place um I feel more comfortable calling and so I really appreciate you coming on and talking more about what you offer you have a lot of facilities and provide a lot of support and a lot of do a lot of great work so I appreciate you Thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you having us. I feel very passionate about eating disorders and helping uh, people that have eating disorders. So as as much uh, education as we can provide, um, the better for me. Well, and I, I, you know, just as a clinician too, like I appreciate that you as a medical medical doctor is trying to get as much of the correct information out there too, because I know, you know, I've had done lots of podcasts and I talked to you about it too. Like the medical field just is lacking so much of the correct information. And so um, just personally, I thank you for the work you're doing and trying to get all of that out there too. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Um, Is there any uh, final last words before we end? No, I would say, you know, anyone that is, that has an eating disorder or is, struggling with disordered eating i think uh, reach out there's a lot of help out there um i mean whether it's alsana on it or another center i you know of course i encourage you to call alsana because if it's if we're not the right uh level of care if we're not the right treatment for you we we make referrals to to all kinds of other programs um a lot of treatment centers do that too so i would always encourage to just call and get your questions answered and do an assessment to see if um, if really treatment is the the right thing for you and if you're in need for it. And the other thing that I would say is that just like any other medical condition, the sooner the diagnosis is made and treated, the better the outcome, um, the better the chance at having a recovered life and not thinking about eating disorders anymore. All right. And I know you gave the website earlier, but uh, could you repeat it again in case somebody does want to find out more about also? Oh, absolutely. It's um, www.alsana.com. There's our admission line. There's information about our adaptive care model, our beautiful facilities, our staff. um, And there's uh, emails, phone phone numbers, all kinds of ways to get a hold of us. Fantastic. We even have an app actually on the website that sort of screens for eating disorders. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. That's very helpful, I think, too. People always have questions about that. So, yeah. Great. Well, thank you again so much. Really appreciate you and all the work you're doing. Thank you for your time. It was wonderful being out here.
This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find 